For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guide for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be empowered. Now, here are your show me the money hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but you know the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, good morning. How you doing this weekend? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. Glad to hear that, Jake. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. It's hard to believe, but we're almost through the first month of the year, Jake. Where's the time gone? I mean, already February is just around the corner. We've got a lot of great shows lined up for us here today. I want you to stay tuned because the uh, shows that we have throughout the year could certainly give you the information that you need to retire successfully. Okay, Jake, uh, let's dive into uh, current events here a little bit. Of course, the presidential race is uh, heating up. And on the Republican side, it seems that people are beginning to pick sides a bit. Yeah, I think I think there's been a lot of surprises, you know, over the last few weeks. And I think Vivek Ramaswamy instantly kind of endorsing Trump after Iowa. And then, you know, Ron DeSantis coming out of nowhere, seemingly, and endorsing Trump. I think that's the right thing to do. I just was not expecting him to do it quite that soon. But even among, uh, you know, billionaires out there and CEOs and all these different people are starting to either endorse Biden or endorse Trump. Some of the people that are endorsing Trump are surprising to a lot of people. One that comes to mind is Jamie Dimon, who was not Trump's biggest fan previously, kind of gave a full-throated endorsement uh, of Donald Trump at Davos. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a surprising one for me. There's been some of these, you know, ultra-left billionaire hedge fund managers that are even saying, you know, maybe maybe Trump's not as bad as we thought he was. I think (laughs) listening to any of the current president's speeches will make anybody go, uh, you know, that guy over there, he can fog a mirror. Maybe we should endorse him for president. Yeah. There's definitely going to be side choosing, and that's heating up now, maybe a little bit earlier than I expected it to, because I, like a lot of other people, were not sure that Biden was going to be the candidate. Right. It does kind of, it does at this point kind of look like it, but we don't, you know, we still don't know for sure what's going to happen there. As this whole race evolves, you know, I think we're going to see Trump continue to smash all these primaries and all Mm -hmm. that. It's going to be interesting to watch it unfold. In the next segment, we'll talk about, let's say, Trump gets elected. What does that actually look like? What are the things he's going to do, and how is it going to affect people's investment portfolios? Well, you talked about people picking sides and giving endorsements. Some of these endorsements are not necessarily rousing endorsements. I mean, what did DeSantis really say? Yeah, I don't know uh, if any of the listeners out there watched what DeSantis actually said. He was like, well... I disagreed with Trump on COVID and I disagreed with him on this and on this, but you know, he's better than Biden. So I'm giving him my endorsement, you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of how he went about it. Um, I think as time goes forward, it will probably move into a more full throated endorsement. It would just be really hard for him to turn on a dime with all the things he's said over the last couple of months about Trump for him to just instantly change it totally the opposite way. So I think it'll that endorsement will get better and better because obviously as governor of Florida, he is going to want to see the U.S. go in a certain way. He's going to want his federal government 
to help him in a way that Trump is probably going to facilitate. Well, this is going to be a fascinating election cycle. I can't wait to see how things turn out because uh, we've never seen anything like this in our lives. Anyway, as things progress, we'll uh, keep our listeners updated here on the radio show and, of course, give them our opinion. In the news as well, too, Boeing continues to make headlines. Yeah, I I think if there's ever a company that didn't want to make headlines at this point, it's probably Boeing. Right. Um, you know, they, they say no press is bad press, but I, I think Boeing would take issue with that statement. But I think that watching this saga with Boeing, I, I don't personally pay a lot of attention to it when I fly. But even I, at this point, I'm like, oh, I'm on a 737 MAX. You yeah. Know? Um, <laughs> I, it doesn't make me run screaming from the plane. but No. But I do have to say, it makes you pay attention to some of their their DEI, you know, their diversity, equity, inclusion, where they're hiring minority groups and all that. I'd say, let's just hire whoever's qualified to keep the plane in the air. Well, yeah. Pay I don't care what they look like. I don't yeah. care what their gender is or anything like that. I just I just want to fly. I'm 100% with you. Hire the most qualified person. I personally don't mind paying an extra $10 for the ticket if it means that my plane's going to be able to stay in the air. But boy, you know, with this softball size uh, hold that appeared in an engine catching on fire, and then before that, of course, they had the door that blew off there. People were sitting there. I mean, I remember when you used to have to fight to get that seat. Now, anybody who wants that seat next to the door can have it because nobody (laughs) wants that on a Boeing airplane. You don't want to get sucked out of there. No, no. That's the reason why you got to keep your seatbelt fastened just in case. You know, Jeff, to be fair to them, you know, there are thousands of Boeing airplanes in the air every day. So, I mean, it's not like every Boeing airplane's falling out of the sky. So I don't right. want to I don't want to be unfair to them, but it does seem to be that they're a victim of the DEI and, you know, shareholder problems. They are trying to make money with less cost, also trying to appease everybody with who they hire and how they hire and all these things and I think we should just focus on keeping the planes in the air. We're talking with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group right here in Springfield. We're talking about current events. Bitcoin's in the news again. Jake, I understand that there are some new ETFs that have been launched. The SEC kind of cleared the path for Bitcoin ETFs to come out. So before there was some Bitcoin trusts and things like that that you could buy where you had investments linked to the performance of Bitcoin, but it didn't actually hold Bitcoin. So now these ETFs, they actually hold Bitcoin in a wallet for these ETFs. So it's basically like you can buy Bitcoin through the market, you know, with a little bit of cost. Most of these are between 0.3 and 0.8% cost, but it really makes it a lot easier for everybody to purchase Bitcoin than having to go create an account or, or even create your own wallet, depending on how savvy you are on the computer. You know, it's just a lot easier to open up your brokerage account and buy the ETF. Um, And while you don't get quite all of the performance, because there is a a management fee for that. Um, it makes it very easy to get in and out, makes tax reporting really easy. It's definitely going to be a mainstay looking forward. However, Bitcoin was running up in in anticipation of this. There's, a, there's an old saying on Wall Street that says, buy the rumor and sell the news, meaning the excitement leading up to an event like Bitcoin being legalized as an ETF. There was a lot of excitement and Bitcoin ran up over 100% in anticipation of that. But on the day that they launched, it went up really big and it went down. And now we're, you know, it's down 20 plus percent at this point uh, from just a couple of weeks ago. So 
I think that, you know, it's definitely a buy the rumor, sell the news, meaning the rumor generates this anticipation and, and this excitement. But as soon as the news actually hits, now there's nothing to be excited anymore about. And so everybody sells what they were buying and all that kind of thing. And the market can be like that a lot. I think it's possible that even a Trump presidency could be like that. And we'll talk about that here in the next segment. Jake, do you think that Bitcoins being in an ETF basically legitimizes them more? It absolutely does, Jeff. And if these major banks have, you know, entire divisions dedicated to cryptocurrency, you know, it definitely adds to legitimacy, but it also means these these coins are not going anywhere. You know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe XRP, maybe Solana and a handful of other ones, you know, are going to be around a long time. Now, these ones like Shiba Inu for any, mm-hmm. any coiners a, out there we have, listening, you know, it is, it is. <laughs> yes. And so uh, there's a coin out there that's worth like a millionth uh, of a dollar right now. Really? And so everybody's piling in. They're like, it's going to go to a hundred dollars someday and I'm going to be a quadrillionaire and all this crap. Hmm. Um, I'd be very careful with that. Bitcoin, Ethereum, they're definitely here to stay simply because the blockchain is here to stay. And we talked about that before on the show. That doesn't guarantee it's going to be worth a lot of money, but it does mean that because of the blockchain, those currencies are going to be here. The big banks around the world have have seen fit to build an investment strategy around them um, and therefore, again, legitimizing them to your question. But I do think they are here to stay. That doesn't make them necessarily a good investment, but they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Let's wrap it up by talking about the S&P 500. Jake, I understand that the S&P hit an all-time high here last week. Yeah, so I think it was January 3rd of 22 was when the S&P was last at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we just went to a new all-time high. A lot of people have been watching the Dow. Dow's been making all-time highs for the last month or so, but um, the S&P just now got north of its all-time high. That's a that's a big deal. If it goes through the all-time high and stays there for a little while, um, that would suggest that this rally has more room to run. And if you've been listening to our show, you know, I've been saying that this thing's needing to rally for quite a while because there's too much negativity. I still think there's probably some more legs left in it, assuming interest rate policy doesn't get too cute. What will really be interesting is after we've factored in the likelihood of a Trump presidency and all that, where do we go from there? And I think that's going to be the key looking forward. And the Dow closed above 38,000 uh, also for the first time, S&P 500, back-to-back records. What is driving these markets, do you think? Um, I think there's a couple of things driving it, but I think the biggest one, though, is everybody's just underinvested. People have been underinvested for two years, meaning they had too much money in cash and they were afraid to put it in. And now they're seeing the market hitting new all-time highs and they're like, man, I cannot wait any longer. I have to buy. And so everybody who's going to sell, who thinks this thing is going down, has already sold. So all that's happening now is people are being converted from negative to positive. And as they buy, they drive the market higher, which is why I think it's likely that this will continue to go higher, maybe through middle of the year. There's going to be a lot of positives economically from a potential Trump presidency. However, there are going to be some drawbacks that we'll talk about in the next segment. We're talking with Jake Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about current events, and we're certainly glad you could join us here for this week's show. Well, if you're wondering how all this plays into your individual situation and how it plays into the designing of your financial plan, well, we've got some good news for you. You can give Jake a call there at Floyd Financial Group, get in and sit down with Jake and talk with him on a one-on-one basis to ask your individual questions to get the answers that you need to create a successful retirement. That number to call, 417 889 
888-532-7233. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice, more than likely Ashley, who will gather some basic information from you and set you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create that path towards a successful retirement. It is the weekend right now, but you can still call 417-889-7233. Simply leave your name and phone number. Ashley will give you a call back here on Monday and set you up with that appointment with Jake and or Randy at Floyd Financial Group. No cost, no obligation for this, and certainly no judgment. We've got 11 more months left for 2024. Why not make the best of them by giving that number a call, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. When we come back, we'll talk about what a Trump presidency would mean for investors and the markets in general when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about and exploring a potential Trump presidency. What would that look like? Jake, I think a lot of people have some visions of what it would look like. I myself am looking forward to possibly the extension of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act because I personally have benefited from it. And I think everybody that I know and listening to the program has benefited from that. So I think that that may be one benefit of a Trump win. But let's explore some of the other things. In your mind, what are some of the other things that could be affected in terms of the market and the economy if a Trump win does come to fruition? Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits, and I think most of our listeners are aware of a lot of those benefits, right? So lower taxes, keeping the tax cuts that you're talking about, maybe even expanding on those. Cutting corporate taxes would be another one, and I think uh, from an investment account standpoint is maybe one of the biggest things that could drive markets, because if we cut corporate taxes, that means corporations just simply earn more money, which means those companies are now worth more money. Right. And so if there's a 40% tax cut on corporate earnings, you know, that means stocks need to go up 20, 30, 40%. So obviously that's a good thing. You know, I think getting a handle on our border, you know, having people come in legally or don't come in, getting rid of a lot of the dangerous people that have come into our border illegally. There's a lot of things that that are positive about a potential Trump presidency. I think most people are not crazy about what he might do with social media as president. However, you know, I think that the vast majority of people uh, listening to this show right now would probably agree that Trump is a whole lot better than Biden, regardless of whether you were a DeSantis guy or a Vivek guy. You know, I think that there's there's a lot of positive things to be said. However, there are a few things that will affect investments negatively. What I mean by negative is I mean negative for investment balances, meaning okay. stock market may go down, housing prices may go down, things like that. Things that have been inflated by frivolous spending and money printing may get checked. And what I mean by that is, let's say that we end up with Trump in the presidency, we have a conservative vice president, and we have Mike Johnson as the speaker the three of them are going to be able to axe things out of the budget in a way that maybe has never been possible before. And so I would say certainly defense spending, which is at record highs by multiples of where it was before on all these war fronts, you know, I think Trump will try to put an end to all that relatively quickly. And so if you think about, it's a good example from an an economy standpoint, how it takes money out of the system. So let's say 
we cut out $200 billion a year in spending to these government contractors, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, all these different people that are getting this money that's being spent right now. So if they don't have to have, have to get that money in contracts, that means they're going to buy less aluminum. They're going to buy less chips, less electronics from all these other companies. And so less spending is generally not good for stock markets. It's good for the overall health of the economy because we're spending way too much money, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But in the short term, the market is not going to like it if we cut spending dramatically, and that might be exactly what happens when Trump gets in. So we want to be a little careful, and we want to make sure we have a plan for that as everything unfolds. I think, as I said in the last segment, I think markets are likely to continue to do well through about the middle of the year. But when we really start looking at some of the things he's going to he's going to run on they are not necessarily positives to overall asset prices because free money the market likes free money easy money you know money printing uh, the market likes it because it simply drives the price of everything up therefore profits are up therefore the stock prices have to go up and so everything connected to that or even in the housing market same thing there that's where it may get a little bit dicey at some point again it's something that needs to happen, but it may not be comfortable as it happens as we cut spending. Jake, we've talked about the federal budget on this program before, $32 trillion in debt or $32 trillion plus in debt as we do this particular radio program. If the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act continues beyond 2025, we're not paying those taxes. If we're not going to be paying higher taxes, how do we close the gap on that debt? I mean, it really just has to come from spending. There's no way to tax people enough to pay for the amount of spending that we're doing. If, if we raise taxes to double what they are now, it still wouldn't be enough and you'd totally crash the economy in the process. And so what we have to do is cut out spending for stupid crap. Forgive me for being a little bit blunt there, but no, that's fine. Uh, let, let me let me let me read off a few things for our loyal listeners here uh, that our government spends money on. And if you're not <laughs> spitting mad by the end of this, um, uh, I'll be surprised. But the the government spent twenty five thousand dollars last year on a promotional tour for the Alabama watermelon queen. <laughs> I mean, that's necessary. What? How do you even apply for a grant like that? Like, I don't you know, know. You know, we we need we need twenty five thousand dollars for some made up crazy thing, and it'd be one thing if it was Alabama dollars, but it wasn't. It was federal yeah. federal spending twenty five grand for the watermelon queen. I wonder where she went and what she did to cost that much money. I don't know. So here's another one. Uh, U.S. National Institutes of Health spent $442,340 to study the behavior of male prostitutes in Vietnam. $442,000? <laughs> not, not in L.A., not in Vegas, but, but in Vietnam. But in Vietnam. Well, that doesn't have much of an effect on us in this country at all. As a matter of fact, I don't know that it has that much of an effect on the people of Vietnam. That is unbelievable. So the same Institute of Health funded $592,000 to study and explain why chimpanzees throw their feces. <laughs> A half million dollars to figure that out. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I've wondered it too, right? But I, I, don't, right. I don't go write a $500,000 check to figure it out. No. And I'll, I'll leave with, I mean, there's tons of these that we could go through. But here, here's one that really makes my blood boil. So the federal government spent $146 million so Ooh. that federal employees could upgrade their flights to business class. Oh, wow. How much again? $146 million. Oh, my and so gosh. People think that all the spending we do out there is necessary, or a lot of people think that. Not everybody thinks that. But by and large, um, that's not only not the case. It, you know, I'd say at least 40% of the total budget is junk. 
I mean, it's it's just junk. I mean, we have to pay people their social security payments. We have right. to defend our country, secure our borders, those types of things. And, and that does account for a pretty big portion of the budget. But there's lots of stuff that we're just gifting money for no reason. And again, you know, if you work for the government, I think a lot of people know that when they sign up to work for the government, they're not going to be a multi-gazillionaire, assuming you're not a senator, you know, or something like that. Because if you're a senator, then you can just write your own, you know, millions as we found out by a lot of these these people right. that go in with a million net worth and they come out with 30 million and you're like okay so 200,000 a year how how do you turn that into 30 million i don't know how but that's neither here nor there but i think that there is just a lot of spending that needs to not not happen and so i think it's very likely that trump and really really whoever but trump and mike johnson controlling the purse strings over at the house and then a conservative you know, Senate leader, I really think they could get some things done. But again, the market will not like that in the short term, but our kids, our grandkids will thank us for it. Jake, what do you think about international investors' perception of the U.S. as a destination for investment if Trump wins? Will that be improved, do you think? A hundred percent. I think people will, will virtue signal and say all kinds of things, but the money will come rolling in big time. You know, it's very easy to say, well, I don't like Trump and I don't like this and that. I don't like this lawsuit or whatever. But ultimately, if you look around the rest of the world and places you want to invest, do you want to go invest in China where they can just nationalize your business anytime? Do you want to go invest in Russia? Do you want to invest even in, in Europe, you know, where they have quite a bit worse um, DEI and wokeness problems than we do here? You look at those corporations being plagued by all that. Or do you want to invest in things that you can touch and see, places you shop, products you use? For most conservative people, that's a very easy decision. Jake, because of Donald Trump's age and the uh, problems that he's having legally right now, do you think that the vice president is a more important choice than it would be on a regular basis? I do think it is maybe more important. I still think the vice president pick will be whoever wins, you know, gives us the best chance of winning. And that's really what it should be in the Mm -hmm. short term. I mean, it'd be nice if we could choose the vice president based off of who would lead the Senate the best. But at the same time, the presidency is so much more important. I think that that's really, you know, where this is going to head. However, Trump is not a not a spring chicken anymore, as, uh, as my dad would say if he was on the on the show here today. He definitely is is at the upper age limit of where people should be running for president. However, um, I do think he's more than more than competent. But, you know, when you're 77, 78 years old, there's things that can come get you that you don't really have to worry about when you're 40. I could see how it could be a more important decision this time. You know, the left has really been running that playbook pretty hard over the last three or four weeks where they're accusing Trump of having dementia and all this kind of thing. And so they need to vote for Biden. Really? (laughs) <laughs> President Biden is 81 years of age, too. If he goes another four years, I mean, 81 plus four is 85. I would imagine there's probably better than an even chance that he has some sort of dementia or some sort of cognitive yeah. difficulties. Well, I and mean, he's probably having them now. It's funny how a lot of people, you know, of the more liberal persuasion, they do tend to point at things that their party and their leader are guilty of and accuse the other side of that. It reminds me of Congress and the way they name the bills that come out. So like the Patriot Act, for example. Right. Like how could you be against the Patriot Act if you're a patriot? However, the Patriot Act is the biggest invasion of privacy in the history of our nation. Yes. And when you look at like the Secure Act, 
They always name it the opposite of what it is. You know, the Inflation Reduction Act, yeah. as inflation is soaring and we're putting more government spending in places where it's going to make inflation worse. It kind of reminds me of that in some ways. We're talking with Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about what a Donald Trump win would mean for the market, would mean for the economy and the American people. If you're interested in sitting down with Jake and asking your individual questions, getting the answers that you need to put you on a path towards a successful retirement, a retirement which you not only survive, but you also thrive in. It is possible. No cost, no obligation for this consultation. To get yours, 417-889-7233. You can give it a call this weekend. As a matter of fact, that's probably the best time to do it this weekend. Leave your name, your telephone number. Ashley will give you a call back on Monday and set you up with that conversation with Jake and or Randy here at Floyd Financial Group. Once again, there is no cost for this. There is absolutely, positively no obligation whatsoever, and there is no judgment. So get yourself off on a good start for 2024 by by getting that consultation and getting the information that you need to put yourself on that path towards a prosperous retirement. Once again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. We're going to take a break, Jake, and we come back. We'll be talking about some fraud out there that is permeating the senior community. All that and more when our show continues here in 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shea. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about fraud and scams, you know, and which ones to look out for in 2024. And Jake, you would think that maybe this is not a big problem, but it really has become almost epidemic among seniors. What would you say is the percentage of people who come in to you who have been the victim of some sort of financial fraud? It's not super high. Um, I would say probably in the 10 to 15 percent range. But I have clients that come in and they say, hey, you know, I got a call from the IRS and they said they were going to take my house unless I gave them my Social Security number and this kind of thing. Right. I can see how, especially somebody who's not, you know, necessarily living in the more digital age, how that could be really frightening. So we're going to talk about some of these today and maybe some ways to figure out whether or not they're real, whether or not just to just to hang up. Right. And artificial intelligence has contributed to the ability of these uh, fraudsters to trick senior citizens. But I want to talk about the IRS one just a little bit here. If the IRS gets in touch with you, have you ever known them to call you? Right. So the IRS will never call you. They are big on sending letters. They're not going to send you emails. They're not going to show up at your doorstep. They will threaten. These scammers will absolutely threaten. They'll say, hey, we're we're coming over right now or we're going to be there tomorrow and you better have our money. That will never happen. The IRS is is a letter sending agency. Right. And, you know, they can eventually do other things to you, but they will not call you on the phone and they will not show up on your doorstep. Right. It is always going to be a letter of some sort and sometimes it's a certified letter. But nevertheless, that is the way that they communicate with you. Now, I guess if you're guilty of some sort of, you know, nefarious activity, there have been times in which the IRS has come to your home or your place of business, but it is highly, highly unusual. I think for most of our people listening to us today, it's going to be a letter, but never is it going to be a phone call. Never is it going to be an email and never give out your personal information. So let's talk a little bit about how artificial intelligence has allowed people to sometimes even do things such as clone voices. There's this thing called the grandparent scam. Can you tell us more about that one? 
Yeah, Jeff. So the grandparent scam right now is kind of a new one. Uh, I have actually not heard of any of my clients having this happen to them. So I don't want everybody to uh, get their paranoia dander up here just yet. But this is kind of on the forefront where basically a scammer will get a voice print, something basically where they have your granddaughter, let's say, they have 10 seconds of her voice somehow that they got off the internet right? or they talk to her personally or whatever. And they can use that voice print to generate all of the rest of her sound in her language. And so that you can be having a conversation with somebody who sounds like your grandkid, but it actually is not. It's a scammer. It's an AI scam. So again, I have not heard of this one from any of my clients. I have not actually experience this, but I do know it's out there. It's one that's probably going to become more prevalent over the next few years here. Right. Fraudsters, I mean, they may call and pretend that they're a family member in immediate jeopardy. For example, they've been arrested or they're dangerously ill, they urgently need money, and they frequently try to isolate their victims by concocting some reason that the victim can't come to the phone or consult with family or friends or law enforcement. But as you said, with AI technology, now you have the ability to sample a voice and to make that voice say almost anything you want. And some scammers, I mean, they may have a third-party conspirator pose as a courier to go to the grandparents' home and pick up the money. So if you receive a call saying that you've got a relative, it doesn't necessarily have to be a grandchild, in trouble, you want to double-check that, actually triple-check that, I'll check my response here and say do not send money whatsoever because it's more than likely going to be a scam. The next one on our list of scams here are romance scams, and I think that this really can be prevalent with these online dating apps. Yeah, and I've honestly seen this even outside of there, Jeff, so this is probably the most common one that I've seen, where you have somebody who's later-ish in life, you know, you're 60, 65, right. 70, and, and and it can happen younger than that, but yeah, either whether they're using a dating app, maybe they're widowed looking for a potential mate and this has been going on for a very long time. I actually have a relative that had this happen, you know, 30 years ago to her after she was divorced. And so I think it's important to understand that people are not always what they seem to be. Some of these people are very patient. Probably the most common version of this is where you have somebody you met online, they have a reason why they can't meet you and they need money to be able to get to where they can meet you and they love you so much and all this kind of thing. Right. And, you know, if you could just send $10,000, you know, then I can I can be with you forever. Right. And what you'll find is after that first 10000 there will be another excuse. They'll say, oh, well, I, I, was, I was on my way, and now this happened, and now I need another 20000 Right. And, and, and before you know it, you're in a hundred grand. And right. so um, I have totally seen that with my clients. Again, it's a very scary thing, but it comes from the heart longing to fill some kind of a void. You know that it's probably not true, but you need it to be true. And, and so as you're dealing with some of these online dating apps, it's important to really make sure you know who these people are. Yeah, absolutely. Have a conversation with them. Do a Zoom, something like that. But yes, this is so prevalent with these online dating apps where somebody's lonely, it's the evening, and they're sitting around. They go, well, I think I'm going to give this a shot. So they go on and they begin to communicate with somebody. Or there's an app called Millionaire Match. Guys will go on that and they'll find somebody. Let's say they're 75 and all of a sudden there's somebody who's 27 who's interested in them and they look like some sort of a supermodel or something. And in reality, it's, you know, it's somebody who's far from a supermodel. It's a, a, a guy in some other foreign country like that. But eventually it'll get around to sending them money. So you never want to fall for that. And I remember my uh, sister-in-law's uh, 
father. And this was probably 30 years ago as well, too. He was in his 80s, and there was a a young woman who came around to the nursing home where he was and befriended him, and uh, he decided that he wanted to marry her, and he had bought a very expensive engagement ring for her. She was a good 40 years younger than he was, but my sister-in-law put a stop to that. So, be aware of those romance scams. The next one is cryptocurrency scams. Yeah, so cryptocurrency scams are particularly scary because it's very difficult to undo these scams. So some of these other scams, depending on how you pay the person, depending on where you send the money, there are paper trails. And sometimes there are ways that you can go back and try to find some of the money or at least get the people responsible in trouble. With cryptocurrency, that's very difficult because if you open a cryptocurrency account and you deposit money in there and you send it somewhere, it's totally anonymous at this point. Like They cannot see who that is. All they see is an address. That's one of the reasons why transactions was like 62% of all cryptocurrency transactions are terrorist funding and drug dealers and things Mm -hmm. like that because it's totally untraceable. The cryptocurrency scam can be simply somebody saying, hey, this cryptocurrency is going to go up. 40,000% tomorrow or something, but sometimes it's involved with one of these other scams we're talking about, like the romance scam or even the grandparent scam where it says, hey, I need you to open this Coinbase account and deposit $10,000 and send it to me. So that's, that's a huge, huge, huge red flag. If somebody says, I need you to open this account for me, no matter who it is, and I need you to put money in a crypto account, there is a 99.999% chance that that's going to be a scam. Right, exactly. As you said, scammers use crypto because they don't have the same legal protections as credit or debit cards, and payments usually can't be reversed. And with investment scams, crypto is central in two ways. It can be both the uh, investment and the payments that can't be reversed. We're talking about some common scams that people may fall prey to here, and particularly elderly people. The next one is employment scams. A potential employer may want to ask some very personal questions of you. This can be a big deal. I, I get emails all the time like this, fishing for information, you know, saying, hey, my name's so-and-so and I'm looking for a job. You know, here's what I can do. Or are you looking for a job? And here's this and that and the other. And One way, especially with email, to, to find out or a good litmus test. If you get an email that says, hey, you have a PayPal account and, uh, you know, you just purchased something for $799.82. Yeah. One really good way to figure out whether it's actually PayPal is to examine the email address that it's coming from. Right. And so if you go through, it may say, you know, so-and-so PayPal for their title, but if you look at the actual address, it'll be xyz42x at gmail.com. Right. Okay, that's that's not PayPal. Okay, so I guess that goes for these employment scams too. If you have some random weird email um, and it's a Gmail or something like that, that should be a red flag too because it's very easy to create a Gmail with no information and you can just do that an infinite number of times. So as we're looking at this, because most of the employment scams, in my opinion, come through email. You know, a really good scam email might have the right email address uh, on the back end of it, but right. for the most part, you see right through them 95% of the time. It's very clear that it's not from them, and, and you can just discard it. And I've had older people say, well, look at this. It has the IRS logo on it. It's uh, signed by this person who says they're this particular person with the IRS. Well, it's very simple to do something like that. Just simply right-click, copy on the IRS logo, and paste it into your email These scammers can be very, very inventive with these things. And as you said, the email address can appear to be legitimate, but they're spoof emails. 
Next one I'm going to talk about, and this will be the final one in the interest of time today, is have you ever seen these uh, Facebook things where somebody will come on and they'll go, what was your first car that you ever had? Or what was your best friend in high school? Or, you know, where did you grow up? That sort of thing. Many times, these are people fishing for information so that they can answer personal questions. Right. So, um, so yeah, if you apply for credit, those answers to those questions are part of your credit report. If you have different online accounts in order to verify yourself in a, a lot of cases, you'll be able to, or set up new accounts, they'll say, hey, just to verify this is you, here's these list of questions. And like right. you said, you know, which of these following cars have you owned during your lifetime? You know, 2001 Toyota, right. uh, 1984, blah, 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 blah. And so they're fishing for that information so that they can set up credit accounts in your name, run up the credit. It's really just not a good idea to share personal information online, certainly not on social media. You're just opening yourself up to potential problems. Um, if you're trying to open an account or something like that, doing that in person instead of online uh, can help you with that. The phone is is has its own set of problems, but at least it's not digital, right. where it's very easy to, to get that information and run with it. So don't answer those questions. Fraud cost U.S. consumers more than $7 billion in the first three quarters of 2023. That's a 5% increase from the same period a year earlier. So if you're aware of a specific scam, and that's the purpose of this conversation today, research shows that you are 80% less likely to engage with it. So those are some of the scams that uh, elderly people may be taken advantage of with, and maybe some people who are not up there in age as well, too. So be wary of anybody asking for any personal information. We're listening to uh, Jake Floyd here, Floyd Financial Group. Certainly, if you would like to get in and sit down with Jake and create a path towards a successful retirement, we're offering you a chance to uh, get your questions answered on a one-on-one -on -one basis with no cost, no obligation, and no judgment. To get your complimentary plan, call 417-889-7233. You can do it this weekend. Leave your information. Ashley will give you a call back on Monday and set you up with a conversation with Jake so that you can get your questions answered and get the answers that you need to put you on a path towards a successful retirement. Once again, that telephone number, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll talk about catch-22 situations as far as your retirement goes and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Jake Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about catch-22 situations you may experience in retirement. And Jake, as I understand it, catch-22 is when an individual cannot find an easy solution because of a contradictory rule or limitation. We often talk about how there's no such thing as a perfect investment on our program and investment strategies. Would you say that this is because of a financial catch-22 insofar as Social Security goes? There's a reason why we always have these it depends answers, and right. it's because of these situations we're going to be talking about. So, for example, Social Security. Um, you know, if you file early, you're taking your benefit at a discount. But if you file it later, are you going to live long enough to recoup what you would have taken otherwise? 
So I guess the question is how long you're going to live. And I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that question. How many healthy years do you have left? And also, what's the market going to do each year over the next 20 years? So Social Security is one of those cash 22s. What would be the solution to this? Or what would you say is the question that you should ask yourself if you're wondering when to file for Social Security? In my opinion, the most important question is, are you still working? I think if you're still working, most of the time it's not going to make sense to file before your full retirement age. If you retire, though, at 64, there's going to be very few situations where it's going to make sense to wait to file Social Security, in my opinion. And that's something we get into a lot of detail with when people come in for their consultation. When to file Social Security is easily the number one question I get asked uh, on a daily basis. The answer is not as mathematical as most people think it is. It really comes down to, you know, are you actually done working when you retire from your job at 62 or 64? If you are, then we should probably turn it on. If you're still working at 65, you are only you can only make $20,000 a year before you have to start paying it back. So usually it doesn't make sense to, to do it. So the, the number one question when it comes to Social Security is, are you actually retired? And that will dictate most of the answer. And I want to expand on that a little bit, Jake. I mean, a lot of financial advisors say that we have this Social Security optimization program that we run everybody's information through. But basically, that's going to tell you when to take Social Security. It gives you basically one answer. But there's really a lot more to Social Security planning than just that. Can this optimization program tell you about future tax rates and that sort of thing? The problem with the, with the software, so I have access to all those softwares too. The issue with the software is it assumes a normal life expectancy for the most part. Now we can put in our own life expectancy, but you know, if any of us could dictate the day we were going to no longer be here, that would be quite the magic trick. And so really the rest of it's just guessing. The way we want to look at this is we want to maximize what we get out of the government because we've already given the government too much, in my opinion. And usually the way to do that is to start taking it earlier rather than later because we don't know how long we're going to be here. The other part of this is even if you don't need the money when you first retire out of Social Security, it still probably makes sense to turn it on because you can invest that money. Most of the calculations for break-even analysis like, okay, if I take it at 62 versus 67, how long do I have to wait before I break even with the longer payment? Most of those calculations assume a 0% interest rate on the money that you took. If you put 4 or 5% interest on there, in some cases, depending on the situation and tax bracket, you never get even. You know, Are you going to be able to enjoy that money more now or when you're 85? Um, and I think most people would understand that you know earlier is better as far as you're able to enjoy it. Again, everybody's situation is different. This is not blanket advice. But by and large, Social Security is, is less a number-crunching decision and just where you're at in life decision. Right. So take a look at the big picture instead of using Social Security optimization as a sales tool and then uh, turn around and sell you an annuity. And I think that's what a lot of people do. Let's right. talk about taxes as a result of the uh, uh, Catch-22 situation. Do you pay more in taxes now or do you pay it later? There's something to be said for having some Roth IRA money. Usually this this taxes question comes around, do I fund pre-tax money into my retirement plan or do I fund after-tax money into my retirement plan? The vast majority of people, it makes more sense to fund pre-tax money into your retirement plan, getting the tax benefit today. There's two reasons for that. Number one, we get earnings on money we would otherwise have paid in taxes. But number two, you're likely to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement than you are while you're working. There are people that do not meet that criteria. 
There's also people that are not going to need their retirement account at all because they have a big pension or large Social Security or they just don't spend very much. In those situations, it can make sense to go for a Roth to protect your beneficiaries. So let's say you don't really need the money and you're going to pass it to your beneficiaries, but your kids, your beneficiaries make $250,000, $300,000 a year. Then it makes more sense for you to pay the tax now so that they don't have a big tax bomb that they inherit later. But again, that's a pretty specific situation that probably fits two or 3% of the population. Usually for the majority of people, it's going to make more sense to save it now because you're in a higher tax bracket now. We're talking about catch-22 situations with Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. We've talked about Social Security and taxes. Let's talk about income now. I mean, you could take more income up front and there's a result of uh, that in the long term, or you could take more income later. How do you help people figure out where to take the most income or to balance it out? You know, that's a that's a pretty detailed question there, Jeff, and, and I'm going to have to go with the usual answer is... Uh, it, it depends. It, dep- it depends, <laughs> but I think... A good guideline, you've heard of the 4% rule. There's a reason the 4% rule is around. The 4% rule just states that of the total amount that you've invested for retirement, um, if you take 4% of that each year or less, you're likely to not run out of money. And I would agree with that. I do think if we put some protection in place, we can push that number to 5, 5.5, maybe 6%. uh, But that's going to depend on some other factors. I think that that is easily the most important decision you make, though, in not running out of money is how much you're withdrawing. If you're withdrawing 4%, it's hard to get into a situation where it can be bad enough where you're going to run out of money. If you're withdrawing 10%, you're almost certainly going to run out of money because the situation can't be good enough with any realm of sanity on the risk tolerance. That is a very important question. Another thing to think about is do we want to front load income while we're healthy and can do things? You know, if you retire at 65, the next best 10 years of your life are when? The next 10. Right. And so I do have people that come to me and say, hey, I want to spend half my money in the next 10 years knowing that I'm going to have less income later and I'm okay with that. And that's absolutely something we can help accommodate. You know, I'll take you through the steps there and kind of show you what's possible as far as income. But some people are like, you know, I'm really more worried about inflation getting out of control later. So let's take less now so I can build up money so I can take a lot more money later if necessary, if the government keeps spending us into oblivion. Yeah. And I think you want to have more money during your go-go years just after retirement because you're going to be going places. You're going to be visiting kids and family and friends across the country. You may go on an international vacation. But when you get into the slow-go years and no-go years later on, pretty much the only place you go is to the doctor and back and that's it. So... (laughs) Consider front-loading your income a little bit if you are reaching retirement age and you're wondering, uh, when should I take my income? The next one, long-term care. That's an interesting one. you got to kind of predict when you'll get sick, but that's something that most people cannot predict. Right. This comes into play sometimes when we're looking at long-term care policies or long-term care, asset-based long-term care, where we set aside a certain amount of money and try to leverage it for care costs. People are like, well, why wouldn't I just wait you know, 10 years and then do this. Like, well, I can't guarantee you're going to be healthy enough to get it 10 years from now. And so that's a very good observation. While you may feel fine today, nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. So you need to be prepared that tomorrow may not go the way you're thinking it will go. As we're looking at long-term care, how to pay for it, those types of things, the situations can vary very widely based on whether you have a pension, whether you have just Social Security, whether most of your money is qualified or non-qualified, meaning retirement or non-retirement money. There's a lot of factors to consider uh, when it comes to asset-based long-term care or just paying for long-term care in general. 
qualifying for benefits. There's hundreds of things to consider. So I don't want to be too blanket answer on this one, but you know, you may pay for a policy and you may never use it. And I think there's a lot of people that would be happy about that. <laughs> but at the same time, you need to have some sort of a plan. You know, a skilled nursing facility, even here in the last bastion of sanity, is about $8,000 a month now. That is crazy. That is a huge number. And Jake, I have heard people say, well, I'm not going to go into long-term care. I'm never going to go into a long-term care facility. I'm going to stay right here at home. It may not be possible to do that. Most people don't expire in an instant. It's usually a gradual thing. Would you say that there is probably a 50% chance or greater that at some point in some person's life that they're going to need long-term care? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think I think the most relevant statistic, because especially if you're married, it doesn't necessarily have to be you that needs the care for it to affect you, right? So it's like 70% or more will see some t- sort of long-term care on either or of the couple during their lifetime. So that's a huge number. That's a, almost a virtual certainty. So you need to have some kind of a plan for how you're going to handle that. Ask yourself this question. You know, if you, if you don't necessarily have a plan, what asset would you use first to pay for long-term care? And if that's not an easy answer for you, then you may need to look a little deeper on that. We've been talking about four Catch-22 situations that you may experience in retirement with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. And of course, we talked about Social Security, taxes, income, and long-term care. If you want information about what we have discussed today about those Catch-22 situations, you'll want to find out what the answers are for your particular situation. Again, we invite you to call 417-889-7233 and request your no-cost, no-obligation Floyd Financial Group complimentary review. That's right, it's not going to cost you a dime, but this one call could make all the difference. Again, that number 417-889-7233. You could also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most importantly, I want to thank our listeners for joining us here in the last bastion of sanity. For Jake Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.